And happy Sabbath, by the way. The text, as we heard, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, I thought I knew what I was going to preach about until like this Thursday. But then I basically felt impressed to change the topic. It would have been easier to stick with the original plan. And it's a good sermon that I preach many places. I would have gotten significantly more sleep this night if I would have chosen the original plan. But I believe God led another message on my heart that I want to share with you. And I'm sure that he has a message for us today. He has something he wants to wants us to hear today. I don't know what. I don't know exactly what are our needs and what is for you and what is for me, whatever. Um, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to our minds and to, to our hearts uh, through this message. The title of the message today is Star Falls. Star Falls and how to be safe. But before we get into that, I would just like to have another short word of prayer. Let's pray. Then Holy Father, I ask pray again that your spirit may guide in a special way, lead my words, lead our thoughts. Pray God that you may tailor make this message and that you may help us understand what it means to us individually. And I pray that it may inspire, strengthen and help us and that these truths, these principles may also help other people we know, our loved ones, families, friends, that this can be a big blessing in many ways. I thank you that you will lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Up throughout the history of the Bible and up throughout the history of Christianity, there are many examples, many sad examples of stars for God, if you will, of powerful people of God that God has used mightily that have eventually fallen away, that have eventually walked astray from from God. We see also in more recent history, for instance, in the, in the history of our church, we have some of the most powerful people in our church that God really used mightily were stars that fell, sadly, eventually. People like A.T. Jones, E.G. Wagoner, uh, John Harvey Kellogg, D.M. Canwright, and many people that God really used. A.T. Jones, for instance, he he was a very influential leader in our church. He, he, he was a powerful speaker and author. He wrote many books. He had a very strong influence. He oftentimes preached at the general conference sessions, the sermons for all the delegates from, from, from around the world. He, he was on the GC XCOM. He, he was also strongly endorsed by, by Ellen White. She said things about him like he was a chosen vessel of God in 1888 and the years after to share a message that the church really needed to hear. The message of righteousness by faith, a message that if, if properly received by, by God's church, it would basically lead to the finishing of the work. She said, like, God has chosen him as a vessel to preach his message that the church so desperately needs. He was so powerfully used by God, but yet that man and many others eventually left the faith, left the church. And when I hear these kind of stories and I read these kind of stories, and it makes me wonder, it makes me ask myself, if these people that were so close to God, that were so filled with God's spirit, if they could fall, how can I make sure that I will not experience the same? 
How can I make sure that I can, I, I can stay you know, on fire till the end? How can I make sure that I can have the real and growing experience with Christ until the end? Unfortunately, this is not only something that happened you know, thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. Two weeks ago, I heard one of my former teachers, I heard a sad news from him that he, he was disfellowshipped from, from the church for some, yeah, basically you could say similar to the story of David in some ways. This man had been powerfully used by God, a mighty speaker, a mighty leader, a powerful author that was a mentor for a big international, very impactful ministry in, in, in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And he, yeah, basically similar to the story of David, he got into some uh, sexual activities he shouldn't have gotten into and so on. The difference seems to be that it's happened many times and it seems like the, the, the deep confession that David had has not been there like it should. Very sad news, very sad news. And even closer to home, a few days ago, a person that I and some people in this room know personally was sadly arrested by the police in his home. His wife had called the police and many newspapers talk about this thing, this active Christian, how he, you know, they talk about how, they, in their words, they say that he lived, lived a double life and, and he did some serious, serious crimes and it will affect him and, and his family and others for probably the rest of their lives. Very sad to hear. And this is a person that we love. And that was also, I think, powerfully used by God. It really followed God. And yeah, went to a mission school and, and was working for God and God used him powerfully. And that was one of the things that inspired me to really change the topic. And the topic of today became a, a, even a stronger burden to me than it was before before this week. That begs the question, you know, how can we be safe? We're also been told through inspiration that many stars in the church will fall in the time of the end. How can we be safe? I believe I will, probably the next time I speak, I think I will do a part two of this message. Today, the thought is I will focus a little bit more on that question, how can we be safe? And I think the next sermon I will preach, I will talk a little bit about and how can we help? How can I maybe help a brother, a friend, a family member that is maybe taking some steps in a direction that may lead to something like this? How can I help and maybe have an influence that maybe can hinder them from, from experiencing something similar? Um, so, so this is what we're talking about today. And yeah, please pray for our leaders. Please pray for, for, for especially people that God are using powerfully. Please pray for this, this friend of ours here in Sweden, and his family in this difficult time right now, that God may be with them and that God's spirit may, may work on their hearts. I, I want to share with you today seven keys, seven principles, seven points. Some of them will go through pretty quickly that I think are very important for how we can be safe, how we can stay strong until the end. And the first principle I'm going to share is this. Realize that it happens gradually. It's important to realize that it happens gradually. A fall like this, those kind of falls doesn't happen overnight. You don't go from overnight, really powerfully used by God, on fire, everything is good, and then overnight you are completely off. It happens gradually. 
Do you know how people go to hell? People go to hell on a moped, basically. Not in a fast race car. It happens gradually, slowly. Uh, generally, when people fall away, when, when, they, when they go to hell, when they get lost, it, generally, it's more like a turtle than a hare. Right? It happens gradually. And, and it may be useful for us uh, in, in several ways to, to realize that generally people are lost inside of the church before they are lost outside of the church. There is a period of time when they are in the church. Yes, they go through the emotion, yes. But they do not have a saving relationship with Christ. And that's where it starts usually before they come that far that they leave and they go up and, and things go down and down and down. It happens gradually. Now listen to this quote about Solomon from Prophet and Kings. It says this. So, what is the word? Gradual was Solomon's apostasy that before he was aware of it, before he was aware of it, can you imagine? He had wandered far from God. Almost imperceptibly. Almost, uh, you could almost not see it. It was so gradual. Almost imperceptibly, he began to trust less and less in divine guidance and blessing and to put confidence in his own strength. That's the tricky thing. That's the scary thing. It happens so gradual that you may be kind of in that process without really being aware of it. It happens gradually. That's why he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. It happens gradually. Jesus said, Luke 16, verse 10, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Before you are unjust in much or unfaithful in much, you are unfaithful in smaller things. The decisions we make today is what determine our destinies tomorrow. The decisions we take today, and usually it starts with small things, is what determines our destinies tomorrow. Now, Daniel 6 is an interesting example. We'll not spend a lot of time there, but it's an interesting example of, I think, in a sense, you can see some of the slippery slope of, of, of sin, which is gradually leading us downward. Uh, you see there in, in Daniel 6 how the leaders in Babylon, they want to find some charge against Daniel. And uh, basically, they're jealous of Daniel. And their jealousy leads them to be envious of him. And therefore, since they are envious of him, they want to find a charge against him. So basically, their jealousy led to envy, and their envy leads to lying, and their lying leads to scheming, trying to you know, get a trap for him. And then uh, they try to find something wrong with him, that, they, that he may be arrested and killed by the king. So it starts with jealousy, and then it goes down, and like, gets worse and worse, and eventually they want, to, want him to, killed. Their colleague, their, the guy they are working with that hasn't done anything wrong. And, and that's usually how it works. It, start, it can start with something small. There may be something little in our lives. It, it may be jealousy that can lead you know, to envy, or, and then maybe to lying, and then maybe to, to things we never dreamed we would do. And that's the thing. Some of the things, I, I don't want to go into details of some of these things that happen with you know, the stories I mentioned, but those are things that were very surprising for people that, that know these individuals. We, you would have never thought that they would have done something like they had done. And that's what can happen when we start that slippery slope, small steps, step by step, and eventually we come to a point when we do things, when we may do things we would have never imagined that we would our, ourselves do. That's the scary thing. Now, Mark Finley put it like this. Sin in our lives never gets smaller. It only gets larger. And I think it's, it's definitely some truth to that. Sin in our lives never gets smaller. It only gets 
larger. Now there is a story that the drug addicts in New York City, they, they tell. It's an interesting story and parable that kind of illustrates this point pretty well. They tell a story, tell this parable about this man that is walking through Central Park in New York. And as he's walking through that park, he sees this little monkey, you know, this little nice little monkey, cute little monkey. He's there, you know, he's playing in that park. And, and the man, he, oh man, that's cool. You know, that's a cool, cute little monkey. And, and, and he takes the, he bends down, he takes up the monkey, puts it on his, uh, on his shoulders, you know, and he walks around with this cute little monkey on his shoulder. And, and the monkey is, you know, is like petting him on the cheek. And, and, and then he jumps down from the shoulder and he runs around his his leg and he's like playing this cute little monkey you know but apparently eventually this little monkey he gets hungry so this man he goes and buys a banana from the banana stand you know by the end of the park there and, and, and he gives this monkey this banana and the monkey you know is happy and eats his banana and, but apparently he's still hungry after that banana so the man he goes and buys another banana and he gives it to the monkey and he eats it but he's still hungry so eventually pretty soon this man, he goes and he buys a whole bunch of bananas and he gives, gives it to the monkey, you know, one banana, another banana, another banana, more and more and more. And, and the monkey, he starts to grow, so you can imagine, he's eating all these bananas, you know, and he starts to grow more and more. And pretty soon, this little monkey is a mid-sized monkey, and pretty soon, this mid-sized monkey turns into a big gorilla. So this small little monkey has now become a big gorilla. And this big gorilla, he puts his arm around this man, around, around his neck, and he begins squeezing, you know, I don't know, giving him a hug or something, but he's so big now. He starts squeezing, he puts his arm around the neck of this man, and he squeezes, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing. And eventually the guy, he falls down, and the, and the big gorilla starts start to trample on him, and, and trample on him, and eventually crushes him and kills this man. And the drug addicts in New York City, as they tell the story, they say that this is exactly what drugs are like. You start taking them a little bit. You just take one banana. And then you have to have more and more and more until they ultimately kill you. You're trying to get more and more of that high, you know, because the thing is this, those kind of highs doesn't satisfy you completely. It's only the most high, only God that can fully satisfy our hearts. Amen. <laughs> but that's the way also that sin is. We start, if we start playing around with sin, maybe just a little thing, maybe just a little bit of dishonesty, maybe just a little bit of cheating, maybe just a little bit of criticism, maybe just a little bit of immora immorality. Just a little bit. But the problem is this, sin never stays a little bit. Sin never gets smaller. It only gets Larger and the larger it gets, the more it can destroy you and kill you. So, if you or someone listening to these words, if you have been playing around with something in your life that the Holy Spirit is impressing you, it's not right. Why not today make a decision to let go of that thing? Why not today, by the grace of God, decide that you are going to break loose of that sin or whatever, whatever it may be? So our first point is it is gradual. This kind of falls, it happens gradually. The second point is this. Carefully guard, very important principle as well, carefully guard the avenues of your soul. 
carefully guard the avenues of your soul. It says in, in the book Adventist Home, it says the following, those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices, those who do, do not want to fall for Satan's temptations or whatever, his attacks, his, his schemes against you, those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. Very important principle. And the quote goes on. The mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemies of soul may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentineled, protected. Or evils without will awaken evils within and the soul will wander in darkness. Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Successful People and many others, said the following or expressed kind of the same idea, including Ellen White, in a similar way. He said, So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. Amen? Isn't that true? So basically it starts with the thought... And basically what starts in the thought is what eventually will determine our destiny. Mm -hmm. It takes some time, but that's where it begins. That's where it begins, and when you think about it, this is really where the battle is. We live in a battle between good and evil. We live in a warfare, a great controversy between God and Satan. A controversy that wages for every soul, for you and me, for every one of our loved ones. A battle for every soul, and the battle is really taking place, it's really a battle of our minds. And how do you influence the minds? Well, it's through the avenues of the soul. It's through what you hear. It's through what you read. It's through what you taste. And that's where the battle is taking place. That's where it starts. And that's why we need to carefully guard the avenues of the soul. Now, I think it's important to realize that it's not a sin to be tempted. I think it's very important to realize that. It's not a sin. Jesus was tempted. He never sinned, right? It's not a sin to be tempted. Uh, temptation in this sinful world, in this wicked world, cannot be fully avoided. We should try to avoid it as much as we can. That will help us, that will help us not to fall. But it cannot be fully avoided. I like how, how Luther put it. He said, we cannot, we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads. But there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair. <laughs> Don't let any birds nest in your hair. Amen. Amen. Just have them fly away and run away from them. James put it like this in, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. It's a process. It starts, yes, temptation is there, but that's not sin. But if that is conceived, if that desire is conceived, if you dwell on that and you, you kind of cherish that, and you, that's when sin is born. But the good news is this. God is able to make us faithful even in our thoughts. Jesus was faithful in, even in our thoughts. And God is stronger than sin. God is stronger than Satan. God is stronger than any wickedness of this world. He will be ultimately victorious in this world. And he wants to be victorious in your life in the end. And if you let him, he will. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. 
So what does this say? It promises, it says that God is so strong, he's so powerful, to him Satan is nothing, sin is not a, something God is afraid of. He is strong enough to make you faithful even in your thoughts. So you don't have to walk that slippery slope from bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, to sinful actions, to sinful habits, to sinful character, and to, uh, to, to, to hell. That's your eternal destiny. Amen. Amen. He can do it if we let him. And he wants to do it. Now, this leads us to our third point, our third principle. Think about this. We're, or how, like, think of an ancient city, right? Surrounded by these walls, you know, all these old cities. How were they defeated? Or, or rather, what I'm kind of thinking of is where were they attacked? If you would conquer an ancient city, an ancient city, how would you take that city? Basically, you would, you would find the, the weakest point of this, of this wall. You would attack it. You would try to see if you know this point is the weakest point. That's where you would try to attack and take that city. And that's also how the devil works. So our third point is basically this. Very useful principle, I believe, as well. Figure out what are your weakest points. And work especially to fortify them. Figure out what are your weakest points and work especially to fortify them. There, there can be many things. There could be many things that may be your weakest point. It's different for every individual. Some really struggle big time with something that it's not so big of a deal for other people, but they have other struggles. It may be different things. For some people, for you, I don't know what it might be for you or for me. Or for me, I have a better idea than for you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> still can learn maybe also there, but surely. But it may be... Pride, it may be covetousness, it may be lust, it may be maybe something in the area of health or other type of addictions, it may be power, a desire for power or popularity, it may be things like music or media that Satan uses to try to influence your thoughts and your mind. It may be things like fanaticism. You're inclined to fanaticism or conspiracies or deception or business or overwork. There are many things. Potential weaknesses that are especially weak points that Satan may want to try to, to get, in, get access to your soul, basically, through. And, and again, it's different for everyone, I think. We may not always know our weakest point, but you can be sure that Satan knows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's something he really wants to figure out with every soul. Mm -hmm. And he studies what is the weakest point. And that's where he will put his efforts to try to make you fall. Yes. Do you know what your weakest points are? Do you know what they are? I think it's a good thing to think about mm -hmm. and try to prayerfully consider because we can be more conscious and aware and really try to work on those things. But the hopeful thing, the encouraging thing is we do not need to be overcome through our weakest points. Our weakest points can be fortified. Listen to this quote, powerful statement from, also from the pen of Ellen White here. It says, she writes in Gospel Workers, page 126, she says, By watchfulness and prayer, we may so guard our weakest points that they will become what? His strongest points. Our weakest point. God is so powerful that our weakest points, where it will be so easy for us to fall, where the temptation will be so strong, those very points can become our strongest points. God is so much stronger than Satan and the devil. So try to find out what are 
your weakest points and by the grace of God, make them strong. Fortify them. So that Satan have no chance to get through and try to conquer your soul through that. Now, hand in hand with the two previous points comes point number four. And that is take time for self-examination. Take time for self-examination. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, and we'll read here verse 5 from the Apostle Paul. Important principle as well. Very useful and helpful on the topic we're talking about today. So it says here, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, what I say in the beginning there? Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Now I have like, I wrote down like 15 verses or something on this note. I will not read all of them, but I have a few more on the screen just to save some time. It says here in Haggai, it says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Self-examination. And again in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He's he's encouraging us to consider our ways, to, to contemplate, to examine ourselves. And here's another one, Psalm 119, verse 59. I thought about my ways. What is that? That's self-examination, right? I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. That's what we should do. If we examine ourselves, maybe we say, oh, wow, I'm not really following the principles of God in this area of my life. And then through the grace of God, when we realize that through self-examination, we can turn our ways to his testimonies and through the great way of God that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. Listen to this. This one you know. Beautiful prayer, though, uh, something we should pray. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Is this a good prayer to pray? Do you think that can help us to know if we are kind of on that slippery slope? Do you think that could hinder that progress and help us not coming to that sad destiny of falling. No one has to fall. It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't need to happen. By God's grace, it will not happen with any one of us. Please, by God's grace, may it not happen with any one of you or of our loved ones. Self-examination. So that's something that is very useful. It also says in Ezekiel, because he considered and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Even after we have fallen, even after we have messed up big time, There is hope, there is mercy, there is grace. We can turn away from that. God has not given up on us, even though we have messed up big time. Mm -hmm. We can in his strength. The further we go that road, the harder it may be. But God can help us to turn around. Now, self-examination or or like reflecting and evaluating our actions and so on is something, it's very interesting, very successful. Like people in the top of business and in the top of sports, they are very strong at that. They do a lot of that. They always examine themselves afterwards. Like, what, what could I do better? What, what did I not... Like, they are really good at that. And I think, come on, many times these people, there's like a rebuke for us. We should be better. We should be more earnest in those things than they are. And like, they are fighting for just some fame and some money and some, like, whatever. Like, worthless things that will be... <laughs> doesn't mean anything when Jesus soon is coming back, you know? And, and we are dealing with eternity. 
We are dealing with the salvation of our soul and the salvation of other souls. How much more earnest should not we be to do these things? Now listen to, this is uh, a quote from, from, from Spirit of Prophecy about Solomon. And she writes the following, very interesting on this note. She writes, the lesson for us to learn, so it's basically talking about basically the fall of Solomon. Can you imagine? Solomon even, the greatest king, the wisest that ever lived, that was so blessed with the Spirit of God, he could fall. Surely we can learn important lessons from his stories. And his, here is some of what we can learn from his story. The lesson for us to learn from the history of this perverted life that he eventually came to live is the necessity of continual dependence upon the counsels of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it says to carefully watch the tendency of our course. What is that? Amen. That's self-examination. It's a necessity that we realize our continual dependence. We need to carefully watch. That if he would have done that, maybe he wouldn't have that gradual fall, right? To carefully watch the tendency of our course. And it goes on to say, and to reform every habit calculated to draw us from God. You may discover those kind of habits when you take that time, prayerfully examine your heart and ask God, is there something in my life I need to change, God? It teaches us that, the great, that great caution, watchfulness and prayer are needed. To keep undefiled the simplicity and purity of our faith. We need to take time to watch. We need to take time to self-examination. There is another really powerful quote. I don't have it on the screen, but if you want, you can write it down. It's in Gospel Workers 275, paragraph 2. Gospel Workers 275, paragraph 2. This is talking about, it says basically here that... The action of each day should be the subject of careful thought. And the object of that evaluation should be to become better acquainted with, with our own habits of life. And then it says, by a close scrutiny of every circumstance of the daily life, they would know better their own motives and the principles which govern them. And then it says, very interesting, it says, this daily review of our acts to see whether conscious approves or condemns is necessary for all who wish to reach perfection of Christian character. You can't be the best soccer player in the world without evaluation and examination, self-examination. You can't become the best business person in the world without that. And you can't reach perfection of Christian character either without that. This is a very powerful and useful principle both when it comes to the Christian life and, and ministry for God as well, to grow and fill the place God wants us to fill. This leads us to our fifth principle. Cultivate a good offense. Cultivate a good offense. Also very important principle. I will explain what I mean. It has been said, you have probably heard this statement, the best defense is a good offense. Now, I grew up with lots of soccer that was like, my life and my idol you know, until God drastically changed the course of my life at age 17. It was a very big part of my life. And I heard it in connection with soccer. You can learn some things you know, from everything. One thing you can learn there, I think it's... I heard this statement sometimes. The best defense is a good offense. Basically, what the idea is, when we proactively are attacking our opponents or our enemies, that's the best way many times to protect ourselves. Since when we are attacking, they need to be occupied defending themselves rather than attacking. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we don't need to, you know, the defense takes care of itself in a sense, you know. And so that's the idea. Someone put it like this. Monica Ostrom, openminds.com, she said, interesting, like kind of 
explaining this statement a little bit. She said, while the adage, the best defense is a good offense, is typically associated with military combat and sports, and is often attributed to Michael Jordan, one of the, the greatest basketball players of all times, it's often attributed to that or associated with military or sport. But then she says, even though that's the case, you often think of that. It was first said by George Washington in 1799. Offensive operations oftentimes is the surest, if not the only means of defense. But the point is this. The best defense is a good offense. Mm -hmm. A very powerful way to avoid falling is to cultivate a good offense. This is very true also not only in sports or in military or in these areas, but it's definitely very true and important when it comes to the Christian life as well. Listen to this quote from, from Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles, page 105. Here it says, Strength to resist evil is best gained where? Aggressive service. By aggressive service. That's basically saying the best of defense is a good offense. Strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. Now, a story is told of a man that journeys on a winter's day, right? Deep drifted snow, he's benumbed by the cold, and almost imperceptibly, it says, to, he's stealing away his vital powers. And he's nearly chilled to death. He's out there, colder than the winter we are experiencing right now. He's out there in the cold. He's nearly, nearly chilled to death. He's about to give up the struggle of life, but at that point of time, he hears the moans, he hears the groans of a fellow, a brother traveler, that is perishing in the cold, and his humanity is aroused. He wants to help that man. He wants to see if he can do something to save his life. And he comes, he makes his way over in the snow to that man, and, and he starts rubbing his ice-clad limbs of of this unfortunate man, and he's trying to make him get some heat, and he, he's trying to make him stand up, but he can't stand. So, so instead he takes him up, and, and he, he carries this man, and he carries this man through the cold, through the winter, through the snow, and, and eventually he comes to the point of, of safety, he comes to the warmth of, of inside, and, and, and he comes there, and when he comes there, it says, in, 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 we can read about this illustration in, in Testimonies 4, 3.19. It says there, when he comes there and he saved that fellow traveler, it says the truth flashed home to him. That in saving his neighbor, he had saved himself also. Amen. His earnest efforts to save another quickened the blood, which was freezing in his own veins, and created a healthful warmth in the extremities of the body. And then we are told... It, we're told that these lessons must be forced upon young believers continually. And not only the young believers, we may add, but especially maybe on young believers as, that they learn this lesson early. Go to work and seek to help others. In such efforts, mingled with prayer for divine light, their own hearts will throb with the quickening influence of the grace of God. Their own affections will glow with more divine fervor, and their whole Christian life will be, be more of a reality, more earnest, more prayerful. The thing is this, our personal salvation, I think this might have been Mark Finney that said that, but in any case, uh, it's true. Our personal salvation is tied up with our personal proclamation. 
Revelation puts it like this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their own lives unto death. And again, all these points, we could have spent much more time on every single point today. I could have given you many more verses and, and, and quotes for every point I make, but uh, we don't have that time. We are told in, in the Sarah Ages, right, God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. God shows us because we need it in order to enter his, into his joy and because we'll also be very blessed. The joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. God shows us because we need it. We need it for our salvation to be involved. It, it, the best defense is a good offense. It's not a coincidence that, it, that David's fall with Bathsheba and all of that that followed. It happened when he was normally supposed to have been out in war, but he was at home in idleness. And oftentimes in those situations, or when you are not engaged, in the work of God, as God calls you to, that's when Satan will be most likely mm -hmm. to make you fall. Mm -hmm. Review and Herald, June 30, 1896, says the following. The greatest work on earth is to seek and to save those who are lost. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus came. And that's his mission for the ch his church and for you and me. For all of us, God wants us to be involved in this work. The greatest work on earth is to seek and to save those who are lost, for which Christ has paid the infinite price of his own blood. And then it says, everyone, does that include all of us? Yeah. Yes. Everyone is to do active service. All of us should be personally involved, not just give some money, not just pray something. We should, be, we should do active service. We should all be personally involved. And it says, the sheep unsought is not brought back to the fold. God depends upon you, the human agent, to fulfill your duty to, best, to the best of your ability. He has given all of us abilities, all of us talents. Are, they may be different, and we have different roles to play in his work. But he has given all of us abilities, all of us talents. And he himself will give the increase. If human agents would but cooperate with the divine intelligences, thousands of souls would be rescued. Is this a point we need to strengthen as a church? Do we need to cultivate a stronger offense? I definitely believe we need to. Okay, so let's repeat before we get into our two last points. Point number one, realize that it happens gradually. Point number two, carefully guard the avenues of your soul. Point number three, figure out what are your weakest points and work especially to fortify them. Point number four, self-examination. That will help you with the previous points, very important as well. It will help us to see if we are on the wrong path and change our course. Number five, cultivate a good offense. The best offense is a good offense. Strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. And this leads us to our last two points. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. We'll basically find our last two points in this passage. Hebrews 12, and we will read verse 1 and verse 2. Hebrews 12. Beginning in verse 1. Powerful principles here also that we need to embrace. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which shall easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I want us to observe a couple of things here. Well, first of all, I want to say this. Well, one thing we see here, it, it talks about sin lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares us. There are many things in this world that can easily ensnare us, that can easily make us fall, that can easily lead us astray. We live in a controversy. We live in a battle. There is a battle that is fought every day, a warfare that is going around for every soul between the prince of darkness and the prince of light. There is a battle. We need to be aware that there is this battle and remember that we are in this battle. But the good news is this. Yes, we have a powerful enemy, but we have an even more powerful God. The good news is, even though, yes, there is sad, way too many people have walked astray, fallen away. But it doesn't need to happen. And by God's grace, many people have also stayed faithful until then. And many people, maybe they have messed up big time, but they have come back to God. And we are told through the spirit of prophecy that many backsliders in the time of the end will also convert. And they will come back. Through God's grace, he may use us to lead some of these people back to God. And the context of this, these verses are very powerful. It comes in the context of... Hebrews 11, right, that shares about these heroes of faith up through all of history. Heroes of faith that, that God could complete the good work that he began in them. They were faithful until the end. Yes, they made some serious mistakes, most of them, or all of them, probably. They made some big time mistakes, but they came back to God, and God can complete the good work he began in them. And we are told that God will complete the good work in a faithful group of people in these last days. There will be a faithful remnant that follows God and follows the Lamb wherever he goes and that keep his commandments. God completed the good work in them. He, com he will complete the good work in, in the faithful remnant in these last days. And he wants to complete the good work in your life. He will do that if you let him. Now, principle number six that I want to notice from this passage here is we need to lay aside every weight. And the sin which so easily snare us. Very important principle as well. In short, you could put it like this. Full surrender. Full surrender. We need to surrender everything, every sin, everything that may hinder or negatively impact our Christian walk or ministry. Full surrender. Now, it says in Matthew, 20, Matthew 1 verse 21... Very interesting verse here. It, it talks about Mary, you know, that she would bring forth a son. And she's told that she should call this son Jesus. Now, why, according to the message from God here, why was she going to call her son Jesus? What does it say there in the end of verse 21? For he will save his people from their sins. Now, notice it does not say he will save his people in their sins. It says he will save them from their sins. There is a watered-down gospel, an imbalanced gospel, a false gospel that is preached many places throughout Christianity that teaches that we will be saved in our sins without laying away every sin and everything that easily ensnares us, every weight. It teaches that we can just run with our sins to heaven. But that's a, that's a lie of the devil. That's the deception of the devil. Adam and Eve, they were, they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Because of one fruit. One fruit. And many Christians today, they think that we can go to heaven with a box of fruit in our hands. But that's a lie. That's a deception of the devil. We need, Jesus came to save us. He's powerful enough to save us from our sins. He will not take sin with us to heaven. 
he will not uh, contaminate the universe again. After this great controversy, there will be no more of this Amen. wickedness. The universe will be pure. It will be harmony. It will be peace. It will be love. It will be joy. It will be so amazing. For everyone who accepts his invitation and his grace of forgiveness and his transforming grace mm. to work in their lives. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many people, it says in verse 23, they will come to him and say, did we, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? But Jesus will say, I never knew you. Yes, they professed. Yes, they had knowledge. They were even active. But they had not laid aside every weight, and the sin would show easily in Snellum. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, right before the book of Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Powerful passage here. Important things we are talking about right here that you don't hear too often from the pulpits today. Ezekiel 18, and we'll read verse 30 through 32. Ezekiel 18, and we'll read verse 30 through 32. Here, the word of God says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, talking to the church of God in that time, to the people of God, right? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. And then it says, repent and turn from some of your transgressions. Is that what it says? No. All. Turn from all, all your transgressions mm -hmm. so that iniquity will, be, will not be your ruin. Mm -hmm. Cast away from you all the transgression which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die O house of Israel for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies says the Lord God therefore turn and live we need to turn away from every sin cast away every weight that's one of the lessons from the day of atonement and we are living in the fulfillment of the day of atonement now in Stalin's prison camps, very interesting story. When you went to the prison camps, the guards would often allow you to bring one personal item to the prison camps. It could be a pencil. It could be a comb for your hair. It could be maybe a picture of your wife. You could bring one personal item, usually. They would allow you to bring into the prison camp when you came there. Something personal that you could bring. Now, why did they do that? Why did they... Did they allow their prisoners to bring one personal item? They knew that some of these people, they would be there maybe for 10 years, maybe for many years in these prison camps. And they knew that if they allowed them to bring one personal item into the prison camps, they could guarantee full compliance through the threat of taking away that one personal item. By threatening to take away that one personal item, the only personal item they would have, they could guarantee full compliance. Mm -hmm. That's all it took to buy human compliance. That's everything it took. One pencil, one comb, one picture. That's all it took to, 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 to buy human compliance. The human heart, it's important to realize, the human heart can be captured by one measly thing, by one tiny worthless thing. The human heart can be captured and destroyed. Ellen White puts it like this in Steps to Christ. Even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire persistently cherished, will eventually 
neutralize all the power of the gospel. One sin. One sin closed them out of the Garden of Eden. And one sin is enough for Satan to lead us to perdition. Listen to these words also from, from the Spirit of Prophecy. There are many who do not make an entire surrender. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. They adopt his name. They call themselves Christians. They wear his badge. But they are not partakers of his nature. They have not overcome their unholy ambition and their love of the world. They do not take up the cross and follow Christ in the path of self-denial and self-sacrifice. They never know what it is to have peace and harmony in the soul for without entire surrender. There is no rest, no joy. By the way, it says in the Sarvedas that self-surrender was the substance of the teaching of Christ. In other words, that was the essence, that was the foundation of the teaching of Christ, self-surrender. It's so central thing in the Christian life. Full surrender. For without entire surrender, there is no rest, no joy. And then it says, almost Christians, yet not fully Christians. They seem to be near the kingdom of heaven, but they do not enter therein. Almost, but not wholly saved, means to be not almost, but wholly lost. Almost but holy said means to be not almost by holy loss. Almost Christians. May this not be the case on the final day for any one of us in this room. Please, may this not be the case. May this not be the case for any of our loved ones. Let us ask ourselves today, are our hearts captivated by the ways of this world? Is there something in our hearts today that holds us away from the kingdom of God? Is there something in my life today that comes between me and Jesus and I perhaps would be willing to give up everything else except that one thing? Is there something today? Don't leave this room today. Don't leave this service today without surrendering fully to God. Without making the decisions the Holy Spirit may be calling you to make today. Our last point is also found in Hebrews 12. Last but not least, very important principle here. Hebrews 12, it says in verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, let us run our race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, how, what does this mean practically? Let's try to make this practical. What does it mean to look to Jesus? How do we run our, our, our race looking to Jesus? But what practical things can we do to look to Jesus, basically? Any suggestions? How do we do that? What does this mean? Study his word. Study his word. Very important, very good way. To live a life of service. Yeah, when we're involved, that helps us to keep our eyes focused on things above, not on things on this earth, as it says in Colossians 3. Two. What, what else? Service, the word, prayer, right? Nature, can see God in nature. 
Christian, true Christian fellowship even, coming together as believers, it helps us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to look up, to look on the things above. Different ways, very important. So basically my seventh point is this, make looking unto Jesus a top priority in your life. Or another way to put it that captures this idea pretty well is zealously guard your personal time with God. Zealously guard your personal time in the Word and in prayer. Anyone quotes Matthew 4.4 for me? I think someone here no one wants to give it a try. Matthew 4.4, what does it say? He answered and said, Give Amen, amen. Mansion not live by bread alone, but by every word. Basically, if we don't eat right, physically we die. And basically what Jesus is teaching us, what the Bible is teaching us, if we don't get this spiritual food, this spiritual nourishment, we die spiritually. Now, we probably have heard this, right, when we read this, but is that how we really live our lives? Do we live our lives as if time in the world is actually more important than food? That's how we should live our lives. It should be a top priority to take that time with God. And of course, I think the more you get to know God, the more you want to spend time with him too. It shouldn't be like a burden and it should be a joyous thing. When we live fully surrendered, it will not be a burden to do all these things. But it's very important. None but those who have fortified their mind with the truths of the Bible shall stand through the last great conflict, it says in Great Controversy 593. Very important too also when it comes to the word. It's very important that we are doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving ourselves. That was one of the problems, one of the big problems with A.T. Jones, for instance, and even Kellogg, I think, for their faults. They knew a lot, but they didn't practice what they knew. Mm-hmm. They didn't take to heart some of the things they should have changed that they knew. Prayer also, of course, is even more important, I would say, in some ways than, than the word. We are told that prayer is the breath of the soul. We are told to pray without ceasing. Now, how long can you hold your breath? 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. A few minutes, maybe, if you're good, right? It shows something of the importance, right? So important. We live in a battle. We are told in the great controversy, no man is safe for a day or an hour without prayer. Is that how we live our lives? Mm. Uh, and listen to this. Servant of the Lord, Spirit of Prophecy says, I wish I could impress upon every worker in God's cause the great need of continual, earnest prayer. Mm-hmm. They cannot be constantly upon their knees, but they can be uplifting their hearts to God. This is the way that Enoch walked with God. Mm-hmm. This is kind of one of the most important points, because if we don't get point number seven, we can't do the other ones, right? This is basically where we get the strength to do all the other ones. The time to, as we make looking unto Jesus a top priority in our lives, as we zealously guard our personal time with God, that's where we get the strength and the power that we need. To stay safe. To stay safe. Okay, so now we have come to kind of the end, the climax of this message. And uh, if someone has kind of been distracted or lost attention, this is a good time to tune in again. If you are online or somewhere, I don't know. You know it's a bit harder to be focused sometimes when you are not in the room, physically present. I can see if someone is falling asleep here, so I can kind of wake them up. But I can't do that through the recording. So the, anyway, this is a good time to tune in again if you kind of lost focus as we are kind of wrapping up this message here today. So we can just repeat quickly and then we will get into it. Yes, conclude. So point number one, it's gradual. Point number two, carefully guard the avenues of your soul. Point number three, figure out what are your weakest points and work especially to fortify them. Point number four, self-examination. 
Point number five, cultivate a good offense. The best offense is a good offense. Point number six, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare, ensnare us. Point number seven, look, run your race looking unto Jesus, the water and finish of our faith. Make that top priority in your life. Are these points helpful and important, you think? Mm-hmm. They're relevant? Amen. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I want to share a few thoughts as we kind of wrap up and, and finish off this message. I want to sh- say this for whoever is here, whoever is watching or listening to this message. Wherever you are, wherever you may be in your life right now, there is hope. Wherever you may be in your life right now, there is hope. I like how Martin Luther said it. He said, when I look to myself, I don't know how I can be saved. When I look to Jesus, I don't know how I can be lost. Amen? Isn't that a good statement? There is hope. Wherever you are, wherever you may have done, However much you have messed up, I believe there is hope for you. I'm convinced that there is hope for you. Now listen to this. It's a little summary of some of the characters of the Bible, some of the heroes of the Bible. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> but yet God worked powerfully in them and through them. Amen. And he can and will work powerfully in you and through you if you let him. Amen. If you come to him, he will do that. God, the God of the Bible, is a God that is an expert at transforming sinful, selfish, miserable, wretched human beings and turning them into mighty men and women from God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He has done it again and again in the past and he's doing it today and he wants to do it in your life. Judas was about to betray Jesus. The disciples had no idea of the purposes of Judas, but Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. And we read how in the Desire Radius it says that Jesus hungered for his soul. He did not expose him. He hungered for his soul. He felt for him such a burden as for Jerusalem when he wept over the doomed city. His heart was crying. Mm -hmm. How can I give thee up? How can I give thee up? The constraining power of that love was felt by Judas. And he was washing his feet. He bowed down and washed the feet of the man that soon would betray him to be crucified. Mm. Come to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and let's read verse 47 through 50. Matthew 26, 47 through 60. This is shortly after that last supper of Jesus and the disciples. Judas have left to do this wicked work. And we read here in Matthew 26 from verse 47, it says here, And while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, Behold Judas, this is in Gethsemane, Behold Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, 
He is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? What an amazing thought. He's betraying him to death, to agonizing death on the cross. And Jesus washes his feet and he calls him friend. Wherever you are, whatever you may have done that no one might know about, perhaps behind closed doors, Jesus has not given up on you. Jesus loves you deeply. And he is able to transform your life. He, he offers you today his grace of forgiveness and his transforming grace to a new life. Why not receive that offer today? Why not receive his salvation today? Are you tempted? He will deliver. Mm. Are you weak? He will strengthen. Mm -hmm. Are you ignorant? He will enlighten. Mm -hmm. Are you wounded? He will heal. The Lord telleth the number of the stars and yet he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Psalm 147, 4. Come unto me is his invitation. Whatever your anxieties and trials, spread out your case before the Lord. Your spirit will be braced for endurance. The weaker and more helpless you know yourself to be, the stronger will you become in his strength. Isn't that a beautiful promise? What is God's message to you today? What is the Holy Spirit's message to you today? My first appeal today is this. Do you want to determine in your heart with me today to say that I want to live like that? I want to run my race with endurance. I want to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run my race with endurance looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you, want, do you want that? Is that your desire? Then I'll invite you to stand up with me right now. I stand up already. I want to live like that. I want to, through the grace of God, through the power of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to lay aside every weight, everything that may hinder, and run my race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. Second appeal today. I want to implore you to make the specific decision or decisions perhaps that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to make today. I don't know what it is. It's different for all of us probably. It may be that he's prompting you to fully surrender to him today. To fully accept him as his. Savior and Lord of your life.
It may be some specific thing in your life that he's calling you to surrender. And the good thing is if he calls us to surrender something, it's, don't hesitate. <laughs> what God wants to give you is so much better than anything this world has to offer. If there is some specific thing that's calling you to surrender, something in your life, something big, something small, don't hold on to that one personal item that will eventually lead to the destruction, to neutralize all the power of the gospel in your life. Perhaps he's calling you to make some changes in your devotional habits. Perhaps to make it a greater priority. Time in the word, time in prayer. Perhaps he's calling you to, to spend some more time in self-examination. To, 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 to see and to consider your ways. To prayerfully ask God, God, is there something in my life that I should change? Is there something in my life that is not in accordance with your great will, great purposes for me? Is there a decision or two or three that God is calling you to make today? How many of you think you, there's at least probably one decision, maybe more, that he's calling you to make? Right. How many of you want to say, okay, I want to make that decision? Whatever it might be, I say, I want to, God, with your strength, I want to make that decision. Amen. Don't wait. Don't leave this service without surrendering fully to Jesus, without fully accepting him as your Savior and Lord. Today, as it says in Hebrews, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Before I pray, Let's take a little bit of silence, a little time of silence where each of us individually can pray to God in our hearts and tell him the decisions we want to make. If you want, you can kneel down as we pray. Let's pray individually right now in our hearts and then I will close with our prayer. God, we want to thank you for your great patience with us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death. But thank you that you have not given up on us. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, and for your ability to create a new heart in us. God, we cannot even surrender. We cannot even give our hearts to you. But we can ask you, we can give you permission to, to help us to basically give, your, give our hearts fully to you. And to transform it, to change it, to make it pure. God, you see the decisions we have made in our hearts today. We pray that you may work in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure, as you have said. Thank you for the promise that we can do all things through Christ who strengthen us. Complete the good works you have begun in our hearts. And Lord, please, please, I pray for all my friends here, all my friends hearing these words. Siblings in Christ, family. Please, Lord, help us to finish strong. Help us to not fall away from the narrow way. Help us to not miss out of the great things you have in store for us throughout eternity. And help us, Lord, to do what we can also to help others to not fall away and to 
surrender their lives and all to you and your service. Be with us the rest of this day and Lord help us to remember these lessons and help us to, to live these lessons in our lives. We thank you for how you have been working in our lives, how you are working in our lives and how you will work in our lives in the future. We pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. May all God's people say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.